Father God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, how you're stirring our hearts to greater affections and intimacy with you, Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you will come and meet with us in this place. That as the, we go forth proclaiming your word this morning, that you will give us insight. You give us wisdom. You give us clarity, Lord. That you will transform our hearts this morning. That we will be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. That we will be sanctified and strengthened by your word today. Father, I decrease that your spirit may increase in me this morning. That every word that comes from my mouth will be ordained by you. Lord, it's not about my opinions. It's not about any of those things. Lord, it's about what you have to say today. So God, as we've spoken to you this morning, we pray that you'll speak to us. And I'm grateful and humble, God, that you will use me to proclaim good news this morning. So let your will be done. May you be glorified and your people edified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. This is an exciting morning for a couple of reasons. One, and most importantly... Uh, Carl, bring me down the monitors just a little bit. Um, one in particular is that we are celebrating changed lives that have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Also, we are continuing our series through the book, book of Philippians. It is harmony, a church in tune with God. And so we want to be a church who has harmony with one another and a church that is in tune with God. And so we're excited that uh, last week we walked through the book of Acts, chapter 16, where we laid the foundation of how the Philippian church started. And we talked about how Paul uh, and his team, uh, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, went into the city of Philippi being led by the Spirit and was able to lead people to Jesus and ultimately established a church. And so now, 10 years later, Paul is writing a letter to this congregation in the city of Philippi to encourage them to be in harmony with one another and ultimately to be in harmony with God. And today we get to dive into chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11, in that uh, we have Bibles provided for you. So if you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles. There should be a Bible under your seat, and you can turn to this particular page number. It is 639 in that Bible that's under your seat. Um, and if you don't own a Bible that you understand, consider that a gift from us to you this morning. Also, if you're a guest with us today, and if you've not filled out that Connect card, we would love for you to fill that out, drop it off at our Connect table, and uh, our family would be more than happy to receive that to stay in touch with you, but also uh, we want to give you a gift in exchange. So drop out a Connect table and drop off your Connect card. So Philippians chapter 1, if you are there, you'll find these words, Paul and Timothy, servants, of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, 
Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Praise be to the Lord. The word of the Lord this morning. Today I want to speak from a church, uh, a subject, excuse me, to a church, from a subject of a church worth celebrating. A church worth celebrating. When I was a kid, um, I, I had the typical upbringing where if somebody hits you back, if somebody hits you, then you're supposed to hit them back. Most of us have heard that from our parents. I don't care what they tell you at that school, if they put their hands on you, you hit them back, Right? Some of y'all acting like y'all been saved every single moment of your life, and I don't appreciate it. So we had this clubhouse across the street from my house that we had uh, this forest wooded area, which was really interesting. And uh, and so in this these big all these collective of trees, we would go into the uh, we would go into the side of the tree and we would make uh, ourselves a clubhouse. And one day, these guys took a tire out of our clubhouse. And so I confronted this guy, and I said, hey, that's my tire. And this boy must have cocked back way over here and fire, slapped the fire out of my tail. Before I knew it, my hand did this, not this. And I turned around, and I walked in the house. And I told my dad. And I told him that this, this kid slapped me over the tire. I'm crying. My dad looks at me. And this is the biggest plot twist in the world. He said, son, I'm proud of you. I was confused. I'll be honest with you. I'm still a little confused. Almost two decades later. But my dad celebrated me walking away from that fight. And you know, parents are intentional about the things that they celebrate with their children. And that's important, that you learn to build them up and you learn to celebrate them at the proper times. And so when is it that we should start celebrating the church? And what are the things that we should celebrate the church for? just as parents would celebrate their children. And Paul, in the passage of Scripture, what we'll see is Paul is celebrating the Philippian church. I want to really give you some some understanding about Paul. Paul is an apostle. Paul has planted this church in uh, in the city of Philippi, and he is celebrating them in the opening of his letter. He starts with the typical greeting, and then he moves to this uh, unusual, not unusual, but but, uh, notable celebration of the church of Philippi. And I want you to really grasp this because 
In some cases, Paul doesn't always celebrate the church that he's talking to. If we'll note in Galatians, Paul cuts straight to the chase. And he says, who has bewitched you? He's essentially telling them, who has confused you and, and robbed you of the gospel that I preached to you, that you've held firm to? In Corinthians, he's, he's rebuking them because there are individuals who are sleeping with their stepmothers. He's rebuking them because they don't understand how to properly worship in the corporate setting. But in this passage, Paul is not doing that. In this book that has uh, historically been characterized as the book of joy, Paul starts off by saying, he gives this typical greeting. He says, uh, uh, Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. And so Paul calls himself, he doesn't even, and here, here's how you know the tone of this, this book is a lot different. Paul doesn't start off flexing with his apostleship. He doesn't say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called and ordained by him. He says, Paul, a servant, a doulos for the Greek word. And so what he's saying is, I'm simply a servant of Jesus Christ, a fellow servant of the Lord Jesus Christ with you. Me and Timothy, they would recognize the name of Timothy because Timothy helped them plant the church. But here's what's cool. A church that we saw initially led three distinct individuals to Christ in Acts chapter 16 now is operating in maturity. Because mature churches have overseers. This word, Greek word for overseers is synonymous with pastor, bishop, all of those shepherds. All of those are the same terminology. And so this church has not one pastor, but pastors, and they have deacons. And this shows maturity in this church. So 10 years later, this church has grown towards maturity. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He starts with grace, because if you don't have the grace of God first, you can never have the peace of God. Ooh, that'll preach. So he doesn't get, put the, the cart before the horse. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. And so here it is, Paul is celebrating the church. He says, every time I think about you, I give thanks and I pray with joy. Now, there's some people in your life when you think about them, Thanksgiving doesn't come to mind. There's some church folk in your life when you think about them, joy is not the adjective that you think about. But Paul says, every single time that you come into my thoughts and I pray for you, it is a prayer of thanksgiving and with joy. And my question is, is what kind of church moves this great apostle who's seen it all and been everywhere to joy and thanksgiving every time he thinks about him? And whatever that church is, I want this church to be it. I want this church to be a church that is worth celebrating. And so what are the things that move Paul to celebrating this church? Here's our first point today. That a church worth celebrating is a church faithful to gospel work. It is a church that is faithful to gospel work. Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel since the first day. 
until now. He says, I'm thankful for you, and I'm filled with joy when I pray for you, not because we're cool and we got a lot in common. It's because of our partnership in the gospel. It's not because we shoot the breeze together. It's not because we enjoy the same video games or we like to go to bingo together. It is because of our partnership in the gospel. Let me be clear of what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus defeated sin, death, and evil through his own death and resurrection and is making all things new. It is the fact that Jesus came and walked on the earth as a human, lived a perfect life that none of us could live, died a death that all of us deserve to die because of our sinfulness, and then resurrected from the dead to have a new life to show us that we can have that through him, but also to stamp uh, that he is indeed God himself because no man can raise himself from the dead. That's the gospel. And that gospel has implications for our lives. In other words, because of the gospel, it means that there has to be an outworking of that in our life. That if you come in contact with the gospel, that when you encounter Christ, you cannot continue to be the same. That you're different. And so this gospel moved the church into a place of partnership with Paul. This word, this Greek word partnership is a common word that we see in the Bible called koinonia. It is a word that's often translated fellowship. And the goal of this word is to communicate a deep connection between brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the affections and deep connection that we have with God. And so Paul is taking this word koinonia, it's translated partnership in this context to show that the the church of Philippi and Paul have this deep fellowship and love and and, uh, um, affections for each other in their work of serving Jesus and proclaiming the good news. Are y'all with me this morning? And so the central focus of this great fellowship and love that they have with one another, again, is the gospel. And what's beautiful about this partnership and what makes this partnership so deep is that it says, Paul says that until since then, From the first day until now, if we remember Acts uh, chapter 16, we talked about it last week. We talked about how when Paul goes into the city, he he runs into this lady, a a group of women actually at the river, and he shares the good news of Jesus Christ. And this wealthy businesswoman named Lydia gives her life to Jesus. The scripture says that the Lord opened her heart. So she gives her life to Jesus. Paul uh, runs into this demon possessed girl that's. Uh, uh, annoying him by proclaiming uh, what he's doing, uh, and, and, and he rather not demons validate uh, his apostleship and his work, and so he casts the demon out of the little girl. The owners of this slave girl gets upset, and they get him beaten and thrown into prison. And it is in prison that Paul, uh, uh, God does a supernatural work, and Paul uh, leads the jailer who was responsible for holding him pri- in prison to Christ. And so in the Philippian church, the first three people that come to know Jesus is a, a businesswoman, as we see recorded in Scripture, who's uh, upper class, a middle class jailer, and a slave girl, lower class, poverty, slave girl. And when Paul says, I, I, I'm thankful for our partnership, 
this partnership was not something that was built in the midst of ease and relaxation. It was a partnership that happened through difficulty. When Paul spent time in Philippi, his time there was filled with hardship. But difficulty often makes a partnership even better. And this is why Paul can talk with so much affection for them because they've been through something. I'll give you an example. And there was a, a difficult time in my life where me and my supervisor, we were at odds a lot of times. Some of you can probably can relate to that. And one day my supervisor did the ultimate thing that was a huge no-no. So I'm living, I'm angry. I go home, I talk to my wife, I talk with my mentor. I know that this conversation we're about to have, because we're about to have a conversation. I know the conversation we're about to have the next day could mean that I will possibly come home without a job. So I get up off my knees from praying. I go in the room to my wife, and I look in her face, and I say, well, babe, might not have a job today. She looked me back in my face, in my eyes, and said, babe, be encouraged. So I left there. Me and my supervisor duked it out in the office. She sent me home for the entire day. And things progressively got worse after that. But this difficult circumstance strengthened the partnership between my wife. When my wife had cancer, first year of marriage, devastating blow. By God's grace, uh, the doctor was able to remove all the margins that had cancer in it. And when she came out of her anesthesia, I had to do things for her that I had never done for anybody in my life. And when my wife talks about those circumstances and she brings them up, things that I just did because I'm a husband, she celebrates. And those hardships made our marriage better. It strengthened our partnership. And so these hardships that, that the Philippian church has went through with Paul has deepened their relationship. And if we want to be a church that's worth celebrating in the midst of our difficulties, we need to allow those hardships to strengthen us and strengthen our partnership. So what is it that what is faithful gospel work looks like? Well, for them, they were actively sharing the gospel. So we want to be faithful in this work. We need to be actively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. What else did this look like? We don't like to talk about money in our churches, but we got to. They were serving Paul financially. That when Paul, he says, whether I am in prison or I am defending the faith, what he's saying is whether I'm free to walk around and go to different cities and talk about Jesus or whether I am in prison, you partner with me in grace. And what they would do is, and this is why Paul is even writing this letter, Epaphroditus, which is a member of the church of Philippi, goes to Paul in a Roman jail and gives him a gift to continue to support him while he's in prison. And what they're saying is, because Philippi was this Roman colony, it was, a, 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 it was kind of a, a Rome away from Rome type of city. They were very proud of being Romans. But regardless of Paul being in prison in the capital city, Rome, they still show love to Paul by what? By sending him a gift to say whether you're in prison, brother, or whether you're free, we love you and we are here with you and for you. And so they gave to make sure the gospel continued to be spread abroad. 
And they also bear one another's burdens. They took care of one another. They encouraged each other. And I want, I want to encourage our church. Because from the moment we planted the well church, we have been a church that's been in the community sharing the gospel. Yeah. That we pray with countless people. Yeah. That we've had well over 75 gospel conversations in the community. Yeah. That we've done Bible studies in people's homes. And I'm thankful that our church has been a generous church. A church worth celebrating. That just in the month of uh, January, we were able to, to support missionaries all across the world. They don't even know it. In January, we was able to, to send $270 to, to support ministry, uh, uh, missionaries across the world. And church plants uh, local, uh, throughout the country. Again, we sent another 290 for the month of February. We've been able to pay people's rent. Make sure young boys were dressed appropriately for their graduation. Why? Because our church has been generous in giving. Not to mention how we've taken care of our own family. You are a church worth celebrating this morning. Because you have been faithful to gospel work. And we give God glory this morning. The next thing that Paul was uh, excited about, he, he, he moves what almost sounds, uh, 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 sounds kind of forced, but, but he's making a point that, that what, what we're doing and what you're doing and what's going on is not just rooted out of goodwill. It is rooted out of the work that Christ is doing. And second point, a church worth celebrating is one that is confident in God's saving work. Here's what Paul said in, in verse 6. He says, for I, uh, that ain't it. <laughs> he says, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who started a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Paul is saying that God has started a work in the church of Philippi. What is that work? What is the work that, they, that God has started? The work that he has started, I want to use uh, three big theological terms, but we're going to work through them. The work that God started was salvation, which is the, to save a person of their sin and put them in right relationship with God. Not only to save them from their sins, but also to save them from the penalty of sin, which is hell, which is a, a lake of fire that's set aside for Satan and all those uh, angels that followed him. And so this starts with this word called justification. Say justification. justification. Justification means that your position with God has changed in an instance. You went from being an enemy to God to becoming a friend of God, a foe of God to a child of God. It is something that happens in a moment when the Holy Spirit changes your heart and you have the understanding to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You're justified. It means you're placed in right standing with God. And then the next thing that happens is a word called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Sanctification, sanctification is the ongoing process where God is making you more like Jesus. This is a process that does not finish until you die. So you will forever be being sanctified in your lifetime. 
God chooses to do a lot of things, do, do this in a lot of ways. He does this through his word, through teaching you. He does this through hardships in your life. He does it by uh, allowing you to be a part of fa- the family of God where they're able to, to exhort you and encourage you, but also to correct you. He's making you more like Jesus over a period of time. He's sanctifying you. And then lastly is glorification. Say glorification. Glorification Glorification is when you die and in an instance God gives you a resurrected body that is not prone to sin or prone to sickness. It is a resurrected body that gives you the the freedom to, to be completely in his presence and not be consumed. And so this is the work that Paul has started, I mean, that God has started in the church of Philippi and has started in every person in this room that has made Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But here's the thing. Here's what I love about this passage. I'm going there. He says, I am confident that he who started a good work in you, salvation, is going to carry it on to completion. In other words, God started a work in your life, and he is not a quitter. He's going to finish the work that he started. I don't know about you, but I typically don't finish stuff that I start. (laughs) The Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to speak. I'm going to be slow to speak. Because even though I got the mic, I'll still lose at 2 o'clock today. You feel me? There are a number of things that I can name off in my life that I didn't finish. Uh, one of those things being Bible plans in my version Bible app. See, y'all are acting all holy for me again. Don't you act like when you go to your Bible app, you ain't got 14 plans that you started. You started that Advent Christmas plan and didn't even make it to Christmas. How many of y'all started a Bible in the year plan and ain't, didn't make it past February? You got the Exodus chapter uh, 15. You was like, God, I ain't, I ain't got no more for these laws. I was trying to make it, Lord. When are we going to talk about Jesus? I have tons of Bible plans in my Bible app. I have not finished. In fact, I'm three, year, three weeks behind on my Bible in a year plan. Football is another of those things. Where I started playing football and I eighth grade year, uh, my parents bought me, bought me Madden. I think it was 2007 or eight at that point. Five, six, one of those. And I was like, man, I'd rather go home and play the game. I ain't got to do this out here. It's hot. <laughs> so I quit. Picked it back up in ninth grade. Played all the way to the, right before our junior season started, finished all my summer workouts. I was like, I'm out of this mug. Forget this Letterman jacket. It ain't worth it. I quit things. There are a number of other things that I've failed to finish in my life and likewise. But thankfully, God isn't us, right? Thankfully that God finishes things when he starts them. Now, the theologians have a word for this, uh, depending on what theological camp you land in. Some might call it perseverance of the saints, and others might call it eternal security. Either way, same premise. The idea is, 
is that because God has started the work in you, it is impossible for this work not to be completed. Some, now, some people like to use the terminology, once saved, always saved. Now, I'm not a fan of that phrase because the connotation of that phrase gives you the suggestion that you can live how you want to live. And that ain't the case either. When you've been changed by the gospel, what does Paul say? Do I continue in sin, though I have more grace? Absolutely not. So you don't get to keep sinning and living how you want to live because of that. But what it is saying is, here's a couple of passages of scriptures to, to further articulate that point. Uh, let's look at John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40. It says, for I have come down, this is Jesus talking, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of who, him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose how many? None. None of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Here's John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What is the Bible saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that I don't quit. My father gave me a task. It was to save your soul. And when I save your soul, I will ensure that you will endure to the end. So I want to give you some confidence this morning. And this was my difficulty in the church that I got saved at. I got saved in a church of God in Christ church. And I, I'm thankful for that season in my life. But what was difficult for me is that every single week I was not sure if I was in God's hand or not. But the Bible teaches us that we can be confident that when Jesus has changed us, that he will carry us to the end of that. That if you've made a genuine profession to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you bear fruit of repentance, so there needs to be evidence in your life that you're saved. It ain't good enough that you just uttered the words your life needs to live in accordance to what you profess. And you don't do that by your own power. You do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's a reality in your life, you can be confident that you are saved. And that Christ will bring you to the end of that. That you can be with him forever. Now, if you're struggling with that and if and if you don't have that sense of confidence, then you need to start to evaluate your life and ask yourself, am I really saved? Have some conversations with some people. In fact, there are people all a part of our church that would love to have a conversation with you about that. But on the other hand, I want you to be careful because I don't want you to walk out of this room with this false sense of confidence that you and God are good and y'all aren't. And people, they get in the water and they think because they got in the water that them and God are, them and God are good and you're not. Baptism does not save you. Jesus saves you. And so if you got baptized so that you can be saved, that was in the wrong order. Christ should change your life first. 
and then you get baptized. If you're living how you want to live, you need to start evaluating it. If your will comes before God's will, not the typical uh, rap, rap artist, hip-hop artist, stands up, gets a war, and says, first, you know, uh, I thank God, first off to God, and then he goes, and in, most, in every other lyric, he talks about how he's the boss, how he's calling the shots, and his life resembles that, but on the stage, he thanks God first. That, I thank God first and live how you want to live is not evidence of salvation. Have I, made, have I beat this horse dead? Or y'all good? Does that make sense? All right, because I'll move on if you got it. Amen. And so a church worth celebrating is confident in God's saving work. Who's saving work? God's saving work. Not our own saving work, but God's saving work. And lastly, we see that a Church worth celebrating is one that is growing in love and righteous character. Here's what Paul says, verse 9. This is his prayer for them, the content of his prayer. He says, and, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. First thing Paul says is that he wants your love. He starts with love because love is the foundation of the Christian faith. The scripture says that Jesus says, if, if, if you've loved, you fulfill the law of God. That all of the commandments hinges upon you lo- loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you fulfill the commandments. Now, we don't love in our own strength. Again, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. And so Paul says, what you need is to grow in your love. Grow in your love through knowledge and grow in, uh, uh, the NIV uses the word deep insight or depth of insight. I say discernment. And so... What he's saying is is that that you need to grow in your understanding of Jesus and how the gospel fleshes out in your life, and then you need to apply that. And so when you have knowledge and application, you can start to grow. Your love can start to grow, and how you love people grows. But it has to start, he says, your, your love has to grow in knowledge and application, knowledge and insight. Then he goes on. Here's the the result of you growing in your love. The result of you growing in your love, the scripture says, so that you may approve, which means discern or to, to know the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. When he says that you may be able to approve what is superior, he's saying that you're able to understand and know what is right and what is wrong. And the only way you get to that is that your love grows in the understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of us have difficulty understanding what's right and what's wrong, what's pleasing to God and what's not pleasing to God, because we're not growing in Christian maturity. We're still babies in Christ. Think about it. Think about your kid. When your kid is first born and they they learn an animal's name, every animal is a dog. 
It can be a dinosaur, dog, cat, dog, right? But when that kid gets older, and let it be something they're interested in, like sports, they can tell you every single player on the field. You know why? Because they're mature now. And so likewise, as believers, if we're going to understand what's right and what's wrong, what's pleasing to God and what's not, we have to grow in our love for one another, grow in our love for God and allow that to work out through understanding God more and applying that understanding. Are y'all with me? Then Paul says two things. You can discern what's right and wrong, and then you may be pure and blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means, so that when Jesus comes back, you're not scared like, oh man, he caught me slipping. But instead, your life is pleasing to him. So to the believer, Jesus coming back is not catching you off guard. You're living your life in such a way that you're prepared for when Jesus returns. And then you're filled with the fruit of righteousness. This righteousness is talking about character. It's like displaying the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, patience, joy, self-control, meekness, and so on. The fruit is evidence of righteousness in your life. It's evidence that, that, that you have the righteousness of God that has been given to you, not by your own work, but by the, by the power of God, so that you may live a righteous life, and there is evidence of that. This happens when you grow in love and in Christian maturity. Amen? And so I want our church to be a church worth celebrating. A church that's faithful to gospel work, confident in God's saving work, and growing in love and Christian maturity. And I want to revisit that today as we prepare to baptize individuals who have given their life to Jesus, I want to invite our worship team up at this time as well. I want you to reflect on your life as we see the individuals today being baptized. Here's what's beautiful as we celebrate today. That their life is going to preach the gospel. Their baptism is going to preach the gospel. That this is is not saving them. God has already saved their souls. What What we're seeing today is that their baptism is symbolic to the death of Jesus Christ. That when they go down in the water, it symbolizes Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. And when they come up from the water, it symbolizes Jesus resurrecting from the dead. And just as Jesus has died for our sins, they they have died to their sins. And just as Jesus has resurrected from the dead, they have new life. And so it's with joy. It's with joy that we get to celebrate them today.
all right.